and welcome back to the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball, and I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. I'm joined once again by who I believe is now my co-host, Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how's it going? I I think I'm also your I, I also think I'm your co-host. This is uh this is the new setup here, and uh and yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the thoughts. It's very kind of you. Yeah. <laughs> We always like to start a podcast by explaining why you shouldn't be listening to it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. <for a> thing. <laughs> in, in this case, it's me explaining to you, you probably shouldn't be excited about me potentially being your co-host. How's everything going for you? It's, uh, it's going all right. You know, I, I, the Irwin household has had the nice development of uh, Avery now being able to feed herself bottles. Uh, so, you know, we have that little bit of freedom. She's also really close to crawling though, which means that we are that close to not having freedom because <laughs> kids just scoot around and, uh, ask any parent or owner of a pet or whatever, you turn your head for two seconds. And usually it's that you, you kind of think to yourself, they're being really quiet. Something has to be wrong. And, and lo and behold, in like the case of my co-host for Locked On NBA, he turned around and his daughter had like basically keyed his car with like a metal <laughs> scrub brush. So, so, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's one step forward, three crawling steps back. Oh yes, that's the classic expression. Yeah. How are you holding up? Are are, are you? Uh, it looks like we we might be seeing some of the the light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's very interesting. Um, so the NBA announced that they're going to be allowing practice facilities to open on May 8th in areas that have relaxed or eased stay-at-home orders. Um, and apparently, like, the league was surprised by this news, uh, the teams, the individual teams, which I thought was interesting. That I always think it's fascinating when the league, like, learns information from ESPN before hearing it from Adam Silver directly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like the Lakers want to get in on that too, because even though California has shown and other stuff, no apparently. signs, yeah, yeah, and other stuff, <laughs> we'll get to that in one second. But uh, uh, it was, yeah, ESPN just reported that uh, the Lakers have inquired to see if they can open their practice facility by May fifteenth, and it would obviously be you know abiding by social distancing as much as possible. I think they were saying like four people in the facility at once you know they'd each be on their own half court like separate from one another they'd have to undergo like temperature checks before they go into the building and it's not like they'd be able to interact with one another or play any sort of team basketball I think the idea is just to get them to shoot around but I mean as far as I see this is like at least some sort of incremental progress that we were missing throughout the entirety of April yeah I think Think my number one takeaway from it is that it still seems to me that the NBA is really focused on coming back this year, Mm -hmm. um, if at all possible. Not just from you know the stuff that you and I talked about, you know, regarding the revenue that they might be losing if they don't have the season, but also because like as soon as they stop to take steps forward, turning or or towards returning uh, the season, they now have to probably get into that. litigate not litigation but legit um literature in their in their cba mm-hmm. that gets into like how to handle a canceled or a partially canceled season so i think they, they they're really focused on that and and also kind of to the point you made about teams being somewhat surprised on this i thought um 
Brian Wenhorst made a really good point when he was talking to Dan Levitard, uh, I believe in yesterday's show. And he said that, you know, to this point, the NBA has been very adamant and very strict about following the steps uh, and following the logic of epidemiologists and experts in this field rather than politicians and where they kind of misstepped. And I think this is where some of the misinformation or lack of information getting two teams kind of came into play here was because, well, the Atlanta Hawks are going to abide what uh, the governor of Georgia is now saying is, is right for their state. And the Dallas Mavericks, the uh, San Antonio Spurs, and the Houston Rockets, they're going to listen to what uh, Governor Abbott out here in Texas is saying, right? And then you look uh, at the West Coast, where you have a lot more strict contingencies to, to try to continue to flatten the curve or make sure that the curve remains flattened. And those teams are going to have to follow much stricter rules because that's what the politicians out here are saying. And, you know, this is kind of the problem that you run into when you make such a drastic shift in strategy and how you're going to deal with something. To this point, most experts have been in, for the most part, uh, most part uh, lockstep in, in how they're going to, how they believe that we should deal with this. It's when you get into politics where you have two very different uh, parties who are, and I'm not going to get into uh, which one is right or which one is wrong though. Yeah. Mm. You know, whatever the experts say is, is what I think is right. Um, but you have two very different parties and two very different approaches to how they're going to deal with this. And, you know, as a result, those teams are now left wondering, well, wait, what's how the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks are probably thinking, so are we just never coming back? Like the, the, mm -hmm. the Atlanta Hawks are, are going to be allowed to come back, you know, potentially a week or two from now. And we're looking at something way further down the road how are we going to handle this? And, and I think that's where some of the confusion kind of came into play. Right. And I think that's just a natural consequence of having to abide by the guidelines of 21 different states versus like one individual federal plan. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that the NBA is just sort of forced into because that's how the U.S. is working, right? Individual states are having to make their own decisions because the virus is you know, progressing at different rates in mm -hmm. different parts of the country. Uh, I did think uh, one thing that I found was really interesting was Woj was on SportsCenter the other day, and he said that the NBA is basically interested in kicking the can on this season as long as possible because if they were to just cancel this season and attempt to start next year in October, there's no realistic way that they could have a normal season in October right. with fans and the type of, you know, atmosphere that they've grown accustomed to. So it's not so much that they're interested in protecting this season, they're interested in protecting next season. And the way to do that is by prolonging this one as long as possible. Yeah, I, look, I, I think the idea that normalcy is just going to resume when all this is like, uh, to be frank, there, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who mm -hmm. have said, like, I just don't know if I'll ever feel safe in the kind of mass gathering that a professional uh, sporting event might be, right? Or, mm -hmm. or even collegiate sporting event might be. Uh, some people are, gonna, are, 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 are going to be more uh, adaptable to those situations than others. But for the most part, you know, I think the, major the vast majority of people that I've spoken to have just said, yeah, I don't, 
I don't know if I'll ever feel fully comfortable doing that. And, um, you know, for, for the NBA, I think if they're able to do some kind of testing uh, for, for how they're going to handle that situation with this year so that they can be, maybe be a little bit more ready for how next year might go, I think that's important too. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things you and I are going to talk about here in a bit is like <laughs> what this might look like for, for some of the, uh, for the teams, for the Lakers, for the league itself, for the workflow within the league, um, the content surrounding it. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating to to kind of think of big picture. What what might this make the league look moving forward? But but yeah, what what Woj is saying there is is like all things can be true that they're interested in making protecting some kind of normalcy for next year. While also, hey, by the way, there's a giant amount of revenue that we would just be passing exactly. up on if if we don't have the rest of the season. Right, and I think uh, before we get to that big picture potential changes for next season. Uh, you alluded to this earlier about, you know, the Lakers. Uh, we just have to mention it because it's a ridiculous yeah. amount of news. Uh, so the Lakers applied for a small business loan from the government uh, in order to... Noted small business, the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> the most valuable NBA franchise, or at least the second behind the Knicks, if I believe the last yeah. Forbes rankings. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they applied for it for payroll protection, which uh, I, I can't even get through this with a straight face. Uh, they received a $4.6 million loan, apparently realized that a lot of legitimate small businesses that actually needed the money to continue to pay their employees had difficulty receiving funding for the government and then returned the loan to the government. A um, couple things here. One, why in the world did they apply for a loan in the first place? And two, do you think they were better off returning the money or distributing it around the community? Uh, I wonder if, I mean, I guess once it's your, once you have the money, it's your money, right? So I guess they could have put, you know, technically distributed it. But, you know, I kind of wonder, does that open up the can of worms of like the, the precedent that that would send that, that other major corporations would just say, oh yeah, give us all kinds of money. And we promise we're yeah, going to give it to our point. community, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, the cynic in me kind of is, is a little concerned about that, but uh, yeah, I, I think this kind of points to a couple major issues with the rollout of that stimulus package. Right. And again, not mm-hmm. to get political or whatever, but you have the Los Angeles Lakers, as you said, valued at, the second highest franchise in uh, the NBA. I think it's a top maybe 10 franchise in the entire world when you're talking about sports uh, organizations. Right. And, and somehow they're getting their money in the first round of, of uh, <laughs> loans that are going out before some of these actual small businesses that are really struggling right now get money. I think you know, that highlights a major flaw in, in, in how we uh, treat people during times like this. So that was, that was kind of tough to see. And I, you know, look, there, there are two ways to, to, to figure out why they handed the money back. On one hand, you could say they actually did feel bad and you can hold them in the positive light of like, okay, yeah, we can't get this money while other businesses are really struggling. Here's Mm -hmm. this money. And, you know, if we absolutely have to, we can reapply later. Or did somebody find out about it, let them know that they found out about it and, and they were like, oh, this is going to look awful. We got <laughs> we to give this money back. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm more cynical, so I probably lean towards the latter situation there. But, but to the Lakers credit, look, they've, they've 
taken pay cuts up top, you know, with, with the, the, the people at the top of the organization, they've taken, taken temporary pay cuts to make sure that they didn't have layoffs. Uh, they did uh, help put together that uh, amount of money with the Clippers and the Kings to make sure that the Staples Center employees remain paid uh, throughout all of this. So, you know, to this point, they've, they've handled things well enough so that maybe we can give them the benefit of the doubt. But, but between those two situations, which way do you lean there? Well, okay, so 4.6, sorry, a $4.4 billion valuation for the Lakers, according to Forbes, which uh, I don't know about you, doesn't seem to me like the definition of a small business, but, (laughs) you know, whatever. It's a a family-owned business, Sabrina. It's, it's, you know, really, it's it's really the American dream. It's a mom-and-pop shop, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. There's so many problems with the way the Lakers run. I think it's interesting that the Lakers were the only team to try to apply for a small business loan, uh, maybe because there are so many billionaires who've come into the NBA in recent years that yeah. the other ones just simply wouldn't qualify for that distinction. Uh, I, I'd like to believe because of what you said about how they've you know taken pay cuts at the top. They did contribute to that giant AEG fund for all of the Staples Center hourly workers. I'd like to believe that they genuinely realize their mistake, but Nothing about what the Lakers front office has done over the last few years makes me <laughs> believe that they have that kind of foresight. Uh, I, I, they probably just got a tip and then gave it back, which kudos to them for giving it back. You know, at least they did something right in the whole thing. A fun, but, a fun circumstance or scenario here to to kind of envision is Tillman Fertitta being the leak. <laughs> Right, like he's struggling the way he's struggling. He's like, "Wait, these guys get the money, but I'm sitting here. I have to close everything. I might lose my team, and these guys get four point six mil. What?" <laughs> um, and then, and then eventually, like the Lakers found out about the tip, and then they gave the money back. But again, I'm that's not that's not you know that's nothing that you or I have heard about. It's just a fun kind of situation that Fertitta would be the person who's like, "No, if I have to struggle the way I am, we're all in this boat together." And, and he, he tattled on the Lakers, just like the, the Pacers once upon a time tattled on the Lakers as well. Right. I have heard that um, there are like a number of Major League Baseball teams who would have to be sold if uh, even like half of the season was canceled just in terms of the revenue they'd lose. Mm. I feel like it would benefit the NBA if they could weed out the poorer owners. Just, <laughs> I know I don't, I'm not looking for like, you know, silver linings here because it's yeah. obviously a national pandemic and there are much greater consequences at stake. But if we have to find little nuggets to hold on, uh, we could get Fertitta out of the league. As much as I enjoy the comedy that comes from it, I think we'd all be better off for it. Yeah, I'd be fine yeah. with it. Uh, let's just take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about those larger ramifications of uh, the pandemic in terms of how it'll affect the league going forward. All right. So, Anthony, you brought up the fact that um, there have been NFL GMs or owners who talked about some – new workflow processes that they learned from this draft that they might apply going forward, which the idea of the NFL learning things is beyond me, but. Uh. <laughs> right. Well, to be fair, it's a, it's a relatively John Lynch has been in the league for only a few years. I'm sure mm-hmm. like some of the more old school guys are like, it, I, I I'll go out on a limb and say Dave Gettleman with his 3000 ring binder or three ring binder with 3000 <laughs> pages in it would probably like, would like, you know, some on hand help next time. But, uh, but yeah, for some of the more forward-thinking uh, teams and, and, and executives, the idea that they might be able to, you know, maybe potentially uh, make their workflow more efficient, uh, if they can cut some of the costs that are uh, involved with 
having people in the office all the time, right? I don't know if, you know, if, if uh, people are salary or if they're uh, just an hourly thing. And if you have an hourly employee who gets paid based on the amount of time that they spend in the, uh, in the office compared to if you could have them work remotely and, and have them paid by the task or put them on some kind of a salary, I kind of wonder, and this isn't just sports related too. Like I think there's a lot of industry out there who, you know, whose uh, administration is looking and, and, and the people at the top at the organizations are probably looking at the situation and saying, wait, could we have been doing this all along? I, I remember for, for my last job before I started doing this full time, mm -hmm. uh, I was a proposal writer for a company called HireWrite. And I remember just like screaming it into my computer all the time. I could be doing this from home. Why am I driving to Irvine every single day? Um, to, to, you know, it, I had to sit in basically an hour and a half traffic there, hour and a half traffic back. If I spend an hour of that just working, that's that in and of itself is worth it. And then, you know, they had this giant campus that I had to go to every day that I'm sure wasn't cheap out there in Irvine. And that could have saved the, the, the organization money too. So I kind of wonder for all of these teams um, and, and for the NBA, you know, which is, a lot more progressive and a lot more forward thinking than the NFL. I kind of wonder as they kind of go through this draft experience as well, if they're going to look at this and, and try to figure out ways that they might be able to be more efficient in terms of having people go to and from the building all the time. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of like the, the analytics and the scouting that's, that takes place that for whatever reason, the front office people have to come into a building to take care of, uh, that probably could be done from home, right? I think mm -hmm. we've learned that a lot. Uh, I I am just fascinated by what will come from this NBA draft whenever it happens because, like, I know that a lot of uh, front offices have leaked that their scouting has, you know, taken a hit because there was no NCAA tournament or, in a lot of cases, conference tournaments to scout off of because those were canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they haven't had a chance to do in-person interviews or workouts. And, I mean, I've always wondered how much that – really factors into the process because like six NCAA tournament games at best should not reverse like four <laughs> years of or however long a player was right. in school. I mean, but yeah. we see that jump all the time, right? Like, Watch, like teams make like their drafts are just way better this year. Cause they are yeah. making, <laughs> cause some guy didn't get hot for three games in the, in the tournament. Yeah. And you, he you hear about those guys who just like, you know, killed the workout, but like, shouldn't it matter more how you perform in an actual game versus how many threes mm -hmm. you can hit uncontested? Like, uh, I know teams have their their drills, like there's certain uh, the we've actually reported on this at Silver Screen Roll about this certain Lakers uh, mentality oh, the Laker drill, drill. Mm -hmm. the Laker mentality drill, right? That I think Steve McKaylook excelled at, and I, yeah, he's he's whatever, he's a fine player, but like <laughs> I don't think that there's uh, anything that we've gleaned from workouts that you couldn't just glean from watching tape. So that process is going to be so interesting to me to look back in two years and see how NBA GMs evaluated talent this year versus how they did in years before but just in terms of like long-term effects i i know uh before the games were canceled but when the league was considering you know keeping media out of the locker rooms or uh, potentially having games without fans uh we were talking about some of the more disgusting habits that nba players have that they should probably keep it you know <laughs> a lid on like uh, anthony davis licked his hand once and then high-fived avery bradley immediately afterwards which is huh objectively disgusting. Uh, I, I mean, 
I'm curious, do you think like if we get to a point where people are comfortable going back to him? I mean, so I was reading an article in the LA Times about how fans would eventually get back to games and you have to consider maybe not having fully packed seating, you know, uh, potentially changing the way that food is prepared at these stadiums because, you know, do you have to like freeze dry the hot dogs first before you serve them at a baseball game or mm-hmm. there's just so many things to consider. And like, I'm sort of in that camp of people who thinks that there's going to have to be a fundamental shift in the way things are done before I feel comfortable going back to a game. And like, that's legitimately my livelihood is covering games. So that's kind of a scary thought. <laughs> um, I mean, do you think that there should be a way and like media should change in terms of how we come back from this? Well, I think, so I think this has been coming anyway. And, and one thing to really keep an eye on is Microsoft's new uh, partnership with the NBA. Mm-hmm. It could, you know, it could completely revolutionize, especially like everybody hates league pass. Right? <laughs> like, yes. Nobody likes league pass as it's currently constituted. So I think that's one of the things that's really going to be uh, identified as, as something that needs to be rethought. And I think that was, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not positive. It was necessarily some insane coincidence that Microsoft and the NBA worked out some agreement while they were, while this pandemic was going on. Um, you, you, you're going to, I think there's going to be a, a lot larger reliance on technology. And, you know, like one, one thing that uh, really kind of comes to mind, I know for a while there, one of the things that a lot of people were really working on in the background was, ways to stream themselves watching games so you know a lot of uh, a lot of bloggers are looking at ways to be able to watch games with the people who read them regularly or mm-hmm. uh, the people who listen to their podcast regularly I, I myself am, am, am uh, partnered with hot Mike to be able to do something like that whenever games resume mm-hmm. and uh, you know something like that is going to be interesting you know because for ABC, or Disney and and for Turner, there is quite a bit of groundswell under the uh, criticism of the way that some of these games are presented, right? I don't mm-hmm. need to hear Jeff Van Gundy whine about hard shell tacos versus soft shell tacos for three hours while my game is going on. I don't need to, you know, when they had the players only thing, I don't need to have a pretty bad podcast running in the back of uh, the uh, background noise of of the game that I'm watching. So does that kind of force some of these uh, producers to rethink the way that they offer up these games technologically? And then, you know, in terms of the in-game kind of thing, I think there is going to be less of a, uh, at least at first, I think there's going to, the demand for people going to watch these games is going to be lowered. And so mm-hmm. does that lead to smaller gyms that get built, right? Are we going to see more of the, it used to be Conseco Fieldhouse out there in Indiana. I think it's a different one now. It's Anchor's Life, I want to say. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, but are we going to see more uh, buildings kind of tailored for basketball? Because, you know, a big kind of 20,000, 25,000 seat arena is that really the best way to watch a basketball game that takes place on a relatively small floor? You know, mm-hmm. um, so those are so those are some of the things that I'm kind of wondering. And, and one of the things I was really kind of looking forward to, um, if the NBA does push forward 
with not having fans in the stands, there's no point if they aren't going to have fans in the stands in having those games in such huge arenas. So if they have a smaller arena, does that allow for different and better potentially TV angles that they can offer the game up in? Um, Might we get more kind of conversation between players out there? Like all these different things, I, I really think this pandemic might lead to a pretty radical rethinking of the way that basketball and maybe sports in general is, is, is offered up to people watching from home. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that the idea of playing games in smaller facilities, like there's no reason why if they have postseasons without fans, they couldn't just play them in a practice facility Yeah, and just, you know, have a bazillion cameras following them. It would be so great. It would be so much fun. I mean, I know that every time that there's a new camera angle on ESPN, we loudly ridicule it on Twitter. Um, just universally. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It's just, oh my God, it's a new camera angle. But <laughs> right. I, I do think that there is some really interesting ways to innovate uh, in terms of that fan experience. And that's something that the WNBA has been talking about a lot too, because like they have to innovate their format in mm-hmm. some way. And it's, it's almost forcing you know the leagues into this pattern because we've done things the same way for so long that there's, there had to be some impetus, I guess, to f- propel some sort of change. And as strange as it is to rely on something like this to cause us to change, it could be for the better in the long run. Um, I do worry about the locker room thing. Uh, yeah. Because I just, I think that the minute you reduce access, uh, then that becomes a pattern. Yeah, I do think that the players uh, who have made themselves available have given really interesting interviews from the comfort of their own homes. I know Lou Williams said that he just feels great when he's sitting at home and it's just so much easier to talk to people than mm-hmm. when he's at the practice facility or in the locker room. Uh, I mean, I doubt that most players are going to be willing to make themselves available like that, but the ones who are, it's been fantastic content and I'm very grateful to them for all that. Well, you, you kind of think about it the concept of a scrum after a game. Now I I understand it from the media's perspective, right? Where Mm -hmm. the emotions are still high. You're going to get, you know, the, the more kind of reactionary response to that game from the player. And, and I guess Mm -hmm. the more quote unquote real response from that player about that game, if they go into the locker room, shower, come out and answer questions, I kind of understand it from that standpoint, but, what if we gave them, you know, the amount of time it takes to get home, you know, Hey, uh, how far do you live from the arena? Uh, could you hop on a zoom call with all, with all the reporters? Um, and, and you now have, you know, some time to kind of formulate what your answer might be to certain situations or circumstances that, that arose from the game. Does that allow for more kind of thoughtful or insightful answers? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, but the comfort of the player, I think that would be pretty important if you're trying to get, you know, insight from players who largely in this day and age see the media as, uh, as, antagonist as an antagonistic, uh, exactly. Thank you for saving me there. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, an antagonistic relationship there. I, I really kind of wonder if, if that might lead to a slightly better relationship between player and media. I, I don't know for sure. And, and it might be kind of offering up an excuse for, or a solution to a problem that might not even exist, but it is something to kind of consider. I, I mean, I, you've, I've never really been in, um, in the, in the scrum regularly. I've done it here and there. 
Um, I don't really like the experience of doing it, but you've done it a lot more than me. How do you think that would, which of those two situations would you prefer? I liked the scrums a lot better in college. I feel like college athletes were always a lot more um, unfiltered than Mm -hmm. NBA players. Um, They just, they get to a certain point after a certain number of years in the league that they're so canned in terms of their responses. Like after a loss, it's like it's one game at a time. (laughs) You hear the same cliches over and over again. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's just so rare that you get a real moment of honesty. And I think those only really happen in one-on-one situations or uh, rare moments when they're feeling particularly vulnerable. But I, I think that I would love the idea of the NBA resuming the postseason, having no fans and then having guys go back to their homes, sitting on their couch and then zooming with reporters for like 15 minutes. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it'd be fun. I, I, I you know, um, I think it would allow for for a little bit more candid answers there. And, you know, because I, I, I kind of feel for players who, especially right after a big game, especially after a big loss, like you don't want to you, – you, you go out there and you say the thing that is actually we're, – we're so, we're so stupid in how we handle this, but we ask for truth, right? Mm-hmm. And then somebody gives us their actual truth or the, the 100 emoji kind of answer. And, and then, you know, we rip apart every word that they say that doesn't exactly lead to more answers like that, but if they have more time so that they can actually offer up the nuance or their, their full point of view of what it is that, you know, either frustrated them in that game or might be frustrating them in, in like a string of games or in a, in a week or so, like, how can, how, how can we develop a relationship that's a little bit more productive between media and player or media and coach like those those there's no better uh example of this than those stupid mid third quarter courtside oh interviews <laughs> where it's like uh so and so is having a great game pop how, how do you stop them well i pray i'm not gonna and give then- <laughs> away your strategy with 12 minutes left in the game anyway right right uh. so i don't know I, I i just think with all of this uh one of the things that's really kind of fascinated me of late has been looking ahead to what this might mean moving forward. Like you don't go through something this, uh, for lack of a better term, traumatic, and it it actually Mm -hmm. might actually be traumatic to society. Uh, You don't go through something like this and then not have major change after. And I really think the place to look to for where that major change is going to probably start from is with the NBA's relationship with the, with Microsoft. Yeah, and I think the NBA has sort of positioned itself as a leader in terms of response to the coronavirus. They were the first league Mm -hmm. to stop, right? Uh, Adam Silver has said that he wants to sort of pave the way for how sports come back, at least professional sports. And this is just another way that they can sort of, you know, consider themselves to be at the forefront of responding to Mm -hmm. the pandemic and then also charting a new way forward from it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully something happens. Uh, hopefully the players are comfortable playing. That's yeah. the main goal. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this has been really fun. Thanks for coming on, Anthony. <laughs> well, I I guess according to Harrison, I have no choice and you have no choice but to deal with me. So um, no, I'm, I'm, I've, I've really enjoyed the last few weeks uh, doing this every, every Tuesday afternoon-ish for, for Wednesdays. It's been really fun and I, I look forward to continuing to doing it. Sounds good. Thank you all for listening and make sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your shows. 
and take care.